And welcome everyone to another episode of Turner and Buckle Talk. And I am your co-host, Matt. And as always, I am joined today by my wonderful and talented co-host, Slade. Slade, how's it going, my man? Going well. How about you? Oh man, can't complain. Just had a nice dinner and, and, and got the belly full and ready to talk some wrestling. There you go. Best thing you can do right after a good belly full. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I'm definitely not doing any physical work. Absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, today... Our episode is a little different than 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 what we've done so far. Um, we're not reviewing anything. We're not doing a watch along of anything. But we are going to discuss our favorite wrestling characters of all time. Uh, uh, the, the beautiful part of this to me is there's really no no right or wrong answer I guess you could say it's all it's all based on opinion and and and, and how you feel about things um and so I'm, I'm very excited about this episode what about you Slade? I am too um like you said there's no real wrong answer even if you like the gobbledygooker you're you know you're you're not wrong if you like the gobbledygooker like Absolutely. that's you so there's no you can't be wrong here um, and I think today we're going to have some, uh, I think we've talked about, it. I think there's only one overlap, so you're not going to have a lot of, of the same characters over and over again. So I think this is going to be a fun episode. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And before we get into things, uh, let me let me do my usual stick. Uh, if, if you would like to, we're on Twitter at TurnbuckleP, if you'll give us a follow on there and you can stay up to date with everything. Also, if you're on the Facebook, we are at Buckle Talk. Uh, you can give us a like, a follow o- over there as well. Um, we try and stay up to date on both accounts. Uh, we do live tweet during most of the WWE shows on our Twitter account. So if you're into that sort of thing, just hop on over to Twitter, give us a follow, and, 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 and come along for the ride with us. Um, with that being said, let's get into the show. Like I said, we're doing our favorite wrestling characters of all time. Um, and like Slay was saying, there's no wrong answers here. Um, it's all personal preference. It's all what you like. Uh, I put out a tweet earlier on our Twitter account, you know, uh, to, to give us your favorite uh, wrestling characters of all time, because odds are nobody's going to have the same, the same overall list of characters, if you will. Um, Today we're we're just given we we decided just to do our top five. Uh, that way the list doesn't become too convoluted, um, and we can kind of spend time on our list and, and and explain why they made the list. No pun intended to Chris Jericho. Um, right. But yeah, and I also we have I think we both have a little honorable mention list that we'll run down. Um, but yeah, it it. The way we'll do it, we'll just go five to one. Um, we'll rotate. I'll do number five. Slater will do his number five, number four, and, you know, you get the picture. Um, with that being said, Slade, do you want to give your honorable mention list, or you want me to give mine, or, or how do you uh, want to do you, it? You go ahead in that way, and then that way we kind of keep the you go, and then I go okay. pattern going. Perfect. Well, my honorable mention list, I think I might surprise you a little bit. Um, let's see. I got – Let's see. I got the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. I got the big boss man. I got Sting. Um, and that Sting is, it's, it's, 
crow sting it's uh, uh baby face bright colored sting it's just his whole character in general except the red face paint sting i didn't care for him wolf pack sting is no, I, i'm with you there yeah it just looked it looked weird uh also got jake the snake mr mcmahon um I, i'm a firm believer that that mr mcmahon uh, uh was was instrumental in getting Stone Cold's character off the ground and, and getting him the huge, huge following um, that he would later have a stronghold on. Uh, speaking of Stone Cold, he's also on my honorable mention list. And to round out my honorable mention list, I have the one and only Mankind. Um, so, so any surprises to you on that one? Not really. Um, I like that list a good bit. Um, mine, I would say Goldust. Um, I would say uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. I, big fan of Mr. Perfect. Um, I was always a big fan of Mr. Wonderful Paul Warndorf. Um, mm. Vader, particularly w WCW Vader that was just, yes. just an absolute monster. Um, Ravishing Rick Rude is one of my all-time favorite people, one of my favorite workers, but I don't know if I'd call him one of my favorite characters because his WWF character is the one that people think of, the playboy with the long hair and the, the swiveling hips. I don't like that. I, I, I don't dislike that Rick Rude, but I much prefer his WCW character, which is much more serious with a crew cut and, you know, roided out of his mind, you know. And he was a lot more serious, and I don't think I'd consider that a character per se as much as the other one. So I like your list. Uh, there's there's my honorable mention, and then I guess we can get, get ready to start with number five for you. Okay. Uh, starting out with my number five, and it's kind of like me and Slade had discussed uh, right before we came on and started recording. Uh, it was my idea just to limit it to five, but then when I started thinking of just five – it, I realized like how many characters I really have enjoyed over the years. Um, and mine, my list, I kind of went more, I guess you would say I kind of went more gimmick centric in okay. a sense. Um, uh, but my number five to get us started, I got the Road Warriors um, slash LOD, whichever one you want to call them. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, they, they just stood out to me, you know, the face paint, the shoulder pads. Uh, I remember, God, I was probably seven or eight. I remember I was in daycare, so six, seven, eight, somewhere around that age. But I had the, I don't know if you remember it, but they had the, the, the merchandise shoulder pads that you could buy with like the styrofoam spikes or whatnot. That you yeah, yeah, holes. yeah. Yes, yeah. I remember those. Yeah, I had a I had a, a set of those, and I'd wear them all around the house. I'd take them to daycare, and and you know, um, but they always loved the Road Warriors, and they always came across as so intimidating. Yes, um, just everything about them, I, I truly enjoyed their characters. Um, and one and one thing I think you'll see on my list, uh, it, a lot of it's based around longevity. Um, you know, they weren't anything else throughout their careers. They're the Road Warriors, Legion of Doom, either name. It was the same, the same character, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, that starts out my list at number five. What about you, Slade? Um, I, I like that, 
that pick, by the way, um, again, the Road Warriors, one of arguably the greatest tag team of all time. And again, they were they were that for years. And, you know, Road Warrior Hall, you know, even when they you know, even when they weren't always together, you all, you know, Hawk was always Road Warrior Hawk and Animal was always Road Warrior Animal. They didn't really, nothing really changed for them. Right. Uh, my number, my number five was, is one that was on your honorable mention list, um, and that is Mankind. And I want to delineate here, Mankind, the original Mankind, 1996 to roughly the time he won the WWF Championship. Uh, around the time he won the WWF Championship is when uh, the book uh, Have a Nice Day came out. And when it did, they sort of, you know, Mick Foley, who is himself, all right, a really wonderful, nice, funny human being. They sort of played that up more than they did the the mankind as a deranged um, lunatic, for lack of a better term. And so, and, and while Mick Foley is one of the most entertaining people who's ever been there, and he even, and he made the mankind thing work. I don't love the Mr. Sacco Mankind as much as I do the original Mr. Mankind, which was a guy that was a, a former, I think the original thing was he was a piano player. And his mom was a dom- was like really domineering and she slammed the piano um, lid on his hand and, and mangled him so he couldn't play anymore. And he lived with the rats and he did all this stuff. He was in the boiler room. And he had the the deal where he'd actually like shave off parts of his hair so it looked like he'd been pulling it out. I mean, he had the mask, that leather mask, which, as we alluded to last week, was originally supposed to be the Undertaker's when he was when he uh, got his orbital bone crushed. So you know, he had all these things going. He was he was insanely tough. Um, you learn that at King of the Ring '98, he takes the fall off the off the cage through the table, and then he takes the fall through the cage which wasn't supposed <laughs> to happen and he actually and if you actually watch it he actually takes the chair shot from that that but and he still finished the match so again he everything he he had the the character work because he and the other thing i loved about that mankind character is he had different entrance and exit music right he had this really like dark eerie entrance music and he had this really calm soothing piano music that exited him when he left the ring and i i always thought that added to him you know that, that once he's won he's he's fine he's calm he's good but before that he's got this all this eerie trauma built around him so mankind's my number five. Oh, definitely and see i was going back and forth uh between mankind and the road warriors for number five. And I think what did it for me is exactly what you said about mankind. It was, um, cause I'm with you on this. Uh, I would say it's when he became more, uh, commercialized when they tried to commercialize him. Cause you know, he got like the chef already commercial and all that. Um, it's just for me, the road warriors, the longevity of it. Um, because yeah, but for like a two year span there, two, two and a half year span, I mean, mankind that it's tough to beat that character. Yeah. So my number four is actually one you had on your honorable mention list, and that is Mr. Goldust. Uh, I just, something about that character, still to this day, if he were to, you know, and I know he's in AEW or whatnot, but if he were to pop back up in the Royal Rumble next year, you know, um, in his full get up or whatnot, I, he, he would still get a pop from me. Um, it was 
it was uh, something I had never seen before, especially as a kid when he debuted. Uh, the whole production of having it look like a movie, um, you know, Shattered Dreams, and then the music itself, uh, it fit him perfectly. And then having like the, the, the gold glitter and whatnot coming down, and then Marlena uh, by his side. And then I, I always remember his promos that they did before he debuted where they were out in Hollywood and whatnot. And he just seemed, there was something intriguing about that character to me. And like I said, I think it's because I'd never seen anything like that before. Um, yes. You know, him wearing a wig to the ring and then taking the wig off and he's bald and, and uh, wearing the full body suit. Uh, it just really, really stood out to me. Um, and I've always, uh, I've always, for lack of a better term, I've always had a special place in my heart for his character. Um, because still to this day, it's, it's a character that, that still stands the test of time. It lasted and uh, in, in it, in it worked, you know, it, but if you, it's also one of those, if you put it on a piece of paper or try and explain it to somebody, they're going to give you a weird look. Yes. You know, they're like, what, what are you talking about? But then you, once you see it, you're like, okay, Dustin made that character work. Yeah. Yes. Um, delusional Hollywood actor that's kind of flamboyant can get kind of um, cliche or uh, get kind of hacky. But Dustin Rhodes just, again, and, and it's funny. I did not realize that was Dustin Rhodes for years. And Growing up, I would go. I I would go to Books a Million or whatever with my mom and dad a lot, and they had the. Um, I'd go to the magazine section. I'd get the WWF magazine, WCW magazine, and then I'd get Pro Wrestling Illustrated (PWI), which is one of the old after mags. And I remember, like, this is five or six months after Goldust debuted. I literally pick up an after mag, and it mentions that you know Goldust in parentheses, Dustin Rhodes, and I'm like, huh? That's <laughs> Dustin Rhodes, because I knew the natural Dustin Rhodes. I'd watch, right. I, I mean, I'd watch a lot of WWE, and I knew he hadn't been around, and I didn't know the whole story behind it, which he got he got fired for blading in the, the uh, oh, it was it Uncensored 96, or Uncensored 95, he fought Barry Darso in a match where they were on the back of an 18-wheeler, and it was supposed to be in Tupelo, and they pretty clearly shot it in Atlanta. It's pretty funny, but but he got fired, and so I knew I hadn't seen him, but I didn't know that he was Goldust for a long time. But yeah, that character, when I was 10 years old, it kind of creeped me out. Right. Um, part of that was because, you know, he was doing the, he was, you know, he's rubbing on guys. He was, he's doing the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation thing with Razor Ramon. And it was like, what's that? And and now it's like, oh, he was way ahead of his time. And supposedly, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I don't doubt it, Um. Some people got mad about that. They wanted to tone that character down. And Dustin supposedly um, asked Vince if, he'd get, if he could get breast implants to help <laughs> to help make that character work even more. Like he was that determined to get it to, to you know keep it the way it was. But even when he toned it down, he still was able to make that work. And like I said, he did. You know, he could play it serious. He could play it funny. He could play it you know, flamboyant, he could play it tough, he, he could do it all, and, yeah. and again, he, st- he stands, that's a great character, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. you. even, you even look at the stuff him and Booker T did. Oh, my lord, yes. You know, um, that stuff was entertaining as hell, 
Um, yes. And, and, and yeah, I just, I've always had a soft spot for Goldust. All right. Uh, my number four uh, was on is, well, it's a part of one of the ones that's on your honorable mention list. And that is uh, Crow Sting, um, the black and white sting. Um, the, 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 the whole NWO sting angle is just, it, it was brilliantly done. Um, if, if, if you're listening, you probably know, but if you don't, back in the, back when the NWO came around in the summer of 1996, they did this deal where they kept like picking off talent. And they had this thing where Bischoff threatened to like fire or have everybody who didn't get their contract change from WCW to NWO beat up or, or something like that. And they were setting up a war games match. It was going to be Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, and Sting versus Hall, Nash, Hogan, and I believe it was it was six, I think. But like the week before, they did this thing where they they spliced an old Sting interview. They recorded it in while Sting was supposedly sitting in the parking lot with Ted DiBiase talking to him. And then they had this guy dressed up as Sting attack Luger when Luger went out to confront him. It wasn't Sting. It was uh, Jeff Farmer, is, uh, who was the guy that was in the, the robe and the paint. And Sting kept trying to tell everybody, I wasn't there. It wasn't me. I was come, I was flying home from Atlanta, but nobody had listened to him. Finally at the uh, finally at Fall Brawl, they did the deal where he um where he came out, he beat up the NWO and then he left because he was done. And then he came out the next night and said, This will be the last time you see me in this face paint. And it was. That was the very last time that you see Sting in the colorful face paint. And starting from there, he starts sitting in the rafters and he wears the white face paint with the black um, eyeliner or whatever on his eyes. And he's got the jet black long hair and he's just sitting there and then you don't know where he stands. And then he gives a hand, he drops the bat and lets Lex Luger use it to beat the giant at Starcade 96. But at Uncensored 97, he comes down from the rafters and he beats up the NWO. And I mean, that's one of the most absurdly loud um, exuberant pops you're ever going to hear and for one solid year there was not a hotter person in the world than Sting and what makes it even better is he did not say a word he would just sit in the rafters look down and then and you never knew when he would show up you never knew when he was going to come down from the rafters and start beating people up and he and he was and he was the one guy that could that that you felt like had a chance to defeat the NWO, and he should have been in Starcade '97 gone the way it should have, but alas, Hogan happened and it, it got screwed up. And then they they started letting him talk again, and it sort of it didn't work as well. Then they made him the the Wolfpack Sting, and dear Lord, that was terrible. But Crow Sting for that one year might be the most. Um, excite the most exciting, the most um mysterious character that I've ever seen, and 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 I couldn't get enough of him. I, even even as WC, WWE was pulling, starting to pull back into the Monday Night Wars, Sting, you could not turn away because you never knew what he was going to do. No, absolutely. Uh, 
as a kid, he he was he was definitely for that time frame you were mentioning. He was definitely uh, the most anticipated part of Monday nights. I guess you would yes. say for me. Um, yes. Uh, and like you said, he didn't even have to say a word, and he didn't say a word. Uh, but there was something just intriguing about seeing him up there in the rafters. And then you know, obviously the NWO with their facials and their reactions and whatnot, it helped out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I'm going to give them that uh, particularly Hall and Nash and to an extent Hogan that they sold Sting as oh, if yeah. he was the Grim Reaper. Like it wasn't, oh, it's still eight on one. It's like, oh God, it's Sting. We, we're in trouble. Absolutely. And a lot of credit there. But yeah. Yeah. Um, he was, and, and, and uh, he was Sting, I think I've said it before, but he was my favorite wrestler in WCW. Um, but yeah, as a kid, uh, seeing that, I, you, you'd never seen anything like that before where somebody's just chilling up in the rafters every yeah. Monday. Um, and then he'd randomly come down on, you know, ran, come down from the rafters with a friggin' baseball bat and then hop right back up or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think to, to Eric Bischoff's credit, uh, the way they built that character, the slow build and being patient with it and letting it tell the story over that extended period of time was also something that you had never seen before um, or that I had never seen before. Um, and so that was another thing that made it intriguing as well was, was that it took as long as it did for the story to play out the way it did. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely. You can't go wrong with that character. Um, speaking of number three for me and uh, I, I, I thought about putting him at number two. I had a quick thought about putting this guy at number one, but I said, no, can't, can't do that. But I got the fiend. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know really what to say. Uh, he's, he's the most intriguing thing about wrestling to me right now. He has been for the past year. I think the possibilities are endless with this character, um, especially once they get fans back in the in the, in the stands. Uh, they can go so many directions with him, uh, both as the Fiend and as Bray Wyatt, uh, his alter ego, um, with the whole Firefly Funhouse. You know, now they've added Alexa Bliss, which just adds another layer to him. Uh, in I have so much respect for Bray. Uh, the wrestler and the character just from reading and hearing how much creative input he has on his character um, I don't know what goes through that man's mind but I respect the hell out of it because um, you can tell he's just got a creative mind when it comes to character and character development um, you know you can you can bash uh, you can knock the storytelling aspect of, of maybe his feuds or whatnot but when it comes to the character itself, he's another one just like Goldust. I've never seen anything like it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And and the contrast of Bray Wyatt to the Fiend, um, it is just it, he's knocked it out of the park. Um, he's the only one I have on this list that doesn't really have the longevity of it. But I I just it I'll put it to you this way: anytime. Anytime his he comes on TV now, or um, I hear the Firefly Funhouse music play, 
I'm stopping what I'm doing and I'm watching. Um, yeah, he, and, and he's the only one that I can currently say that about. Uh, and 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 I think if given the legs and given the time and given the freedom, that that possibilities are endless with him. Um, I think he can be the next Undertaker. I don't think he's going to have a 30-year run or anything like that. But in terms of being like this mystical, uh, undead type character that you can't, you you might be able to put him down temporarily, but he's coming back, you know. Um, and to have that in today's day and age of society where that kind of thing really isn't believable anymore, but you can make it believable with him, uh, that says a lot to me. Uh, and I just, I love the character. I love the character. Yeah. Um, Bray Wyatt's just a, he's, he's a, just a phenomenally creative talent. Um, cause his, cause if I'm not mistaken, he was doing most of the, he was doing the, he was doing most of the work on the original Bray Wyatt character, which is kind of the swamp cult leader. Right. And like, that was a really good character. I, I was about to say, that was a good character. They just didn't let him win any big matches. And that, and, and ultimately that's what, what doomed it because yeah you know i came empty words but ultimately look we get that it's it's a scripted entertainment but if you lose all the time it just it it, it's kind of like in a movie when a when a when the the bad guy needs to win every now and again just to make the good guys win mean that much more right and if the bad guy always loses then the good guy hasn't really done anything and i think that's what ended up happening with bray you know if you beat bray Big whoop to be the guy that can't win the big one. Right. But this character, he's really, um, he's really sunk his teeth into. You can tell he seems to be a little bit more energized. He seems to be a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more of a pep in his step uh, in the ring, uh, in character work. His, the, the, the Bray Wyatt, the demented Mr. Rogers thing is just gold. Like if, if he didn't have the thing and he just did the demented children's. Uh, daytime TV show host, he would still be really, really good. Absolutely. Like adding the theme to that just just shows you how much talent he has. Yep. And then another thing I appreciate about the character uh, is him doing callbacks to his previous characters. You know, he's got uh, Huskus the pig, which is obviously yes. a callback to Husky Harris, and then uh, he's got. Uh, on the Firefly Fun House, he's got uh, the, the house that Randy Orton burned down. And then yes. it, there's all these like little subtle, if you've been following along long enough, you pick up on it, uh, that it's just callbacks to his previous <laughs> characters. So there's always these little tie-ins that he has. And to me, I, I appreciate that type of thing because you don't see it a lot. You know, when somebody right. does change their gimmick or when somebody does change their character or who they are, they change. They 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 wipe the slate clean essentially, but he's held on to it and he's finding ways to integrate it. Uh, and and it, and I think when he's finished, it'll all you know you'll be able to look to step back and look, and it'll all be a big you know it'll all tie in together, um, in some yeah. shape, form, or fashion. And he's just he's a unique character. Yeah, he's he's really he's really hitting it out of the park. And I and and I, I thought that point that you made about you know, so often that when a character changes or they turn heel or face, we act like what they did before didn't happen. And I like that Bray doesn't do that. That he he embraces that, okay, I was this and I was this, but that's made me this. 
Right. Um, even even him when the as the fiend when he comes out, it's still his old entrance music. Yeah, it's, it's just, the Wyatt family entrance music. It's just it's it's remixed into like a more heavy metal death metal type deal. And I right. mean that yeah, it's just clever. All right. My number three is going to probably be controversial because most people will have him number one. And this is not so much a knock on him. It's just the, the, my one and two are just, to me, better characters. My number three is The Undertaker. Um, the, the, the Phenom. Uh, he's good. You know, I think they said Survivor Series is going to be his final farewell. Um, again, if you just take if you walked into to somebody's room in 1990 and you said, we got this idea for a character and he's basically a zombie. Uh, he's an undead son of two funeral home workers and the funeral home workers are dead and they got burned up in a fire and he gets power from their ashes that are in an urn. You're going to laugh that out of the park. Like, like just on its own, that sounds ridiculous. And yet, Mark Calloway and, and, and William Moody, who is Paul Bear, and I actually finally watched the Paul Bear documentary. I meant they, to ask if you had seen that yet. Yeah, I finally watched it. It's really, really good. It is. Those two, um, I mean, I know he started Brother Love, but Paul Bear and uh, an Undertaker, Mark Calloway and William Moody just really made that work. And it, it, it on its own, on its own, it shouldn't have worked. But he had an ability to um, hit to reach the audience, to get the audience to care. Um, you know, he he was that creepy bad guy right off the bat. Um, you know, you couldn't really hurt him. He beats uh, Hogan to win the title, the WWF title from Survivor Series '91, and then he has one of the more improbable face turns ever when he keeps uh, Jake the Snake Roberts from hitting Elizabeth with a chair as there is a uh, her in. Uh, Macho Man are walking back from the uh, from the ring at one of the Saturday night main of, or Saturday night's main events, and he stays that for a while, and then he goes back to being heel, and and, and, he, and he could work either way. He could do he could stay heel, he could stay he could he, you know, but after a while you didn't want to hate the guy. He was just so good at what he did. Um, even American Badass Taker, which gets kind of a, a bad rap. Um, there was some pretty cool stuff there with, with that. Um, I will always laugh at the say what if you like to sleep with your sister when uh, they kept doing the what chant to him. Um, <laughs> and again, he's a, you know, you had the, the WrestleMania, the undefeated streak, which I don't, I think that was just an accident. I don't think it was supposed yeah. to be a thing. And then it just, and it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew until Brock Lesnar beat him at uh, Mania 30. But it should, but it, and another thing I'm gonna give Undertaker or Mark Calloway credit for is he um, up until now, up until recently, you never saw Mark Calloway. You know, with all you know, and I don't, and I'm not knocking wrestlers who do the shoot interviews or who come out of character to sort of, you know, let the fans see that side of them. That's that's 100 fine. But the fact that Mark Calloway was didn't do that made the Undertaker that much more special that much more unique that much more mysterious you didn't know you know it, you know where does mark calloway stop and the undertaker begin and up until about a year or two ago you, there was no real demarcation line between those two and I, and i think i think we were all better off for it oh most most definitely um 
I'm not going to say too much about the Undertaker right now. Um, I got him. I got him uh, in a minute. But yeah, I, there's 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 so much that could be said about the Undertaker. But then it, then again, there's not. You know what I mean? Like it, it's an Undertaker. <laughs> it's an Undertaker. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you. Um, so moving on, we are down to number two, and I think this one's going to surprise you. Um, people listening, I think it will surprise. And I don't know if it's because I'm feeling nostalgic this week or 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 whatnot. But I got Eddie Guerrero, uh, the lie, cheating, still version yes. of Eddie Guerrero. Oh, and, I, and that's one that I didn't write down on my honorable mention list, and I absolutely should have because, yes, watching Still Eddie was great. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, I loved him at the time. I loved the gimmick at the time. I loved everything about Eddie Guerrero at the time, but also at the time I was 13, 14, 15 years old watching you know going back and watching now i appreciate him even more um i've talked about it before how much i enjoy eddie guerrero uh but his lie cheating still gimmick just put it this way the finish him and kurt angle had at wrestlemania um is probably one of if not my favorite wrestling finishes of all time simply because it was perfect for him and perfect perfect for what his character was at the time um his ability to get a reaction out of the crowd, whether you wanted to cheer him or boo him. Um, and then he just had that little smirk, um, his facial expressions, just everything about the lie, cheating still Eddie Guerrero. You know, he had some really, really entertaining backstage segments as that character. Um, the creative finishes he would, they would have for him where, you know, he, he'd hit himself with a chair or whatever, and then throw it at the other person. And then the ref would turn around and, match was over because they thought that the other guy hit Eddie with a chair. Uh, He, there was just so much to him uh, and that character. And once again, it was something coming out in a low rider, uh, uh, just everything about Eddie was different than what you saw at the time and what I had grown up seeing. And now once again, I had watched him plenty in WCW but his character wasn't nearly as developed then, you know, it was strictly, it was strictly in-ring stuff. Uh, and his in-ring stuff was top-notch in WCW. Don't get me wrong. You know, he had plenty of classic matches um, and even in ECW as well. But when they added that lie, cheat and steal version, uh, that was, it just took it over the top for me. Um, he got to, he got to bring his true personality out and you could tell he loved doing that. You could tell he was having fun and, and it just came across on camera and it was so entertaining. Um, and if you've listened to this podcast, you know that my big thing with the wrestling is I want to be entertained. You know, um, I don't care how goofy it is. I don't care how cheesy it is. I want to be entertained. And Eddie Guerrero was better at that than almost anybody for me. And that's, you know, that's, you'll see with my number one, why I couldn't put him number one, but I just had so much respect for Eddie um, and, and what he did, because it was just, once again, kind of like the fiend and gold dust. It was just different. You didn't really see somebody doing what he was doing or in the way he was doing it. 
um, and it just made him stand out even more. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it is freaking Eddie Guerrero, man. Yeah, Eddie just the lie, cheat, steal thing was so good. The just even like the the little the little uh, vignettes they did him and Chavo did when they first started, where they would like you know they would hustle these guys out of a golf you know at the golf course, or they would act like repairmen for a water for a <laughs> throw a pool party in this old lady's backyard. They were just they were just fun and. You know, Eddie Guerrero in WCW was really, really good, but his character was very um, bland. Dour. It was very, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it bland. It was just like this really miserable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, hateful, hated everybody character. And, and he played it well because, I mean, he's Eddie Guerrero. He's, he's ultra talented. But when they actually let him to, when they actually allowed him to sort of be himself. And, and sort of be who he was, kind of that lovable goofball. And he was able to really sink his teeth into being, you know, the guy that lied, cheated, and stole. There hasn't been there haven't been many people better. And and that was a that was an omission on my part. But man, it's hard to believe it's been 15 years since he's man, been gone. But he was just so so talented. Um he, you know, Latino Heat before that was good. Like it was a it was a fun character but when he but he got into that light sheet still he just knocked it out of the park and, and I, love I don't the, know the, the entrance song too i, I cheat i steal <laughs> yeah, it's just perfect yep. and it's like it's like i said you know it's like you said and it, it, a lot of what he did like if, if somebody else slammed the chair on the mat and threw the chair at somebody to the other guy and laid down you you would hate them right. but eddie was able to make that be both endearing and hilarious and and that's something that's that's uh that's hard to do absolutely and i was there's oh what was i gonna say i was gonna say one more thing but oh uh i don't know if you've seen it but they have a best of eddie guerrero on wwe network right now i'm gonna um, have i'm gonna have to look that up because oh it's it's, it's like good. three three and a half hours of his of his stuff um yeah, I watched part of that last night when I couldn't go to sleep, and I just – it just made me smile, man. It just made me smile. Yeah, he's he was so good. Um, miss, miss him a ton. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No telling what he would be now. Oh, man. All right. All right, my number two is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, I think everybody has the dream – of being able to flip off, beat up, and verbally torment their boss. Like, everybody has that dream. Um, Steve Austin got to do that for for, for, for three years. Yeah. Um, he, was, he, he and Mr. And Vince McMahon, another guy that was, that, that was on your honorable mention list, um, just they had it out for three years. But Steve Austin before that, even before he became the anti-Mr. McMahon, the 1996-1997 stuff he was doing was also top-notch. His uh, feud with Bret Hart, uh, the never-say-die attitude with the, the I Quit match where he, he passed out. He, before, he passed out from the pain and bleeding before he would say, say the words, I quit. Um, 
you know, he had the neck injury with Owen Hart. He still found a way to win the match and then come back and win the Intercontinental title at Survivor Series 97. Um, he was entertaining. He was one of the things that I think gets overlooked about Steve Austin's character was he was smart. He wasn't just, you know, this loud, belligerent, angry, drunk, redneck that just, you know, you know, beat beat people up and ask questions later. You know, he was the kind of guy that would write a contract and then make sure that he, that he had loopholes closed off so that, you know, you couldn't come back and get him later. Um, and, you know, he's he's the probably the biggest uh, drawing person of all time in terms of peak. Now, I think I think Hogan has him in terms of longevity. But for that for that period, for about 1998 to 2001, nobody, nobody was bigger than Steve Austin. And again, it's it's a testament to how number one, how talented he was, and how dumb WCW was that he got away. Because I, I went back and I've watched some old WCW stuff, and I, I hate to say it, it's around the time that Hogan comes in. Austin is really, really, really good in WCW. And then it's like Hogan comes in and they kind of they kind of de-emphasize him and ends up going to and then ends up leaving and he goes to ECW and then he goes to WWF and he becomes just this this megastar. And um he was a great in-ring guy. Uh, once he had his neck problems, of course, he had to become more of a brawler, and that probably helped. Um, that probably helped him stay, do it for a little bit longer. Um, he had great rivalries, of course, with Mr. McMahon, The Rock, Triple H, Bret Hart, Owen Hart. Um, he had a little bit of a spat with HBK for a little while. I mean, he, he and, and again, he got to live everybody's fans. He got to go after his boss. Um, don't trust anybody, no matter who you were. You know, he, he was just as liable to attack you. He, he was a face, but he wasn't a white meat baby face you know he was just as liable to attack a good guy as he was a bad guy um it was the exception of the stephanie mcmahon thing where he came out for the um the black wedding where undertaker had her tied to the to the symbol and was going to marry her and he came out and saved the day and again it's 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 telling how much people loved him and mick foley that that pop when when hit when his music hits on uh, at Raw when Foley won the title, when that glass shatters, that place loses their minds. And the thing I also always appreciate it, about Austin is he goes down there, he hits Rocky with the chair, he flips off McMahon, he walks back to the ring, he walks back, he does his little thing, and then he walks away. Like he doesn't stay out there to take away from Foley's moment. He just he leaves. But there's my number two. Yeah, I uh, I'll be honest. When I was thinking about the list, um, I, I didn't put Austin on it. I think because mainly I was thinking about that run you're talking about, ninety-eight to one, and in my head, because like you said, you, you know, who doesn't want to flip off their boss? Who doesn't want to cuss out their boss? Who doesn't want to drink beer and, and pour it on their boss and all this and that? But in my head, I've always felt you know, whether right or wrong, that that's just him. Like, that's Austin turned up to 11, you know. 
Um, and, and, and so character wise, I didn't feel like he had to go very far, but then when you started mentioning, like you said, 96 and 97, you know, before the Mr. McMahon stuff, uh, you know, I kind of didn't really think about that whenever I was, I was thinking of my list. Um, and, and you, you throw all that in there. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with him. He, he like you said, he was, he was the top draw for, you know, for an extended period of time. Um, he made that company millions and millions and millions of dollars. He's still a household name to this day, you know, just like The Rock, but in different ways. You know, every single person knows who Stone Cold Steve Austin is, but he's not some huge movie star like The Rock is. Right. But he, everybody still, because he was a part of, of our generation um, that was really into wrestling in the late nineties. And he, he essentially became kind of a cult uh, hero. Um, you know, I, I remember, I think it was last year for Halloween or something, uh, Damian Lillard came to the arena before a game in a stone cold shirt and a stone cold mask. Uh, he's, he's got that, that vibe to him of, of he's, I mean, he's a legend. Um, yes, but yeah, I, I just felt like that Austin character during that run, and I don't know him personally, you know what I mean? But it just felt like that's just him being himself, just turned up to 11, which a lot of times that's what makes a really good that's wrestling character. Um, but like I said, I went more towards, I guess you could say, the gimmick route, uh, like with Goldust and The Fiend and whatnot. But I mean, if Austin's on your list as a uh, your favorite character. I mean, I don't see how anybody could even come close to disagreeing with that. And and like I said, and, and again, if you if I can see that point too, it's just like I said, 96, 97. And I guess it's because we watched Survivor Series last week that I started like thinking about the stuff that he did before he won the title in 98 at, at Mania 14 that is like Oh yeah, there was a there was a little bit more to it than just guy angry at his boss that gets to beat him up all the time. And 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 but again, Austin to me, great all time great. But I can see the point. Like you just think ninety eight to one, it's it is by all rights, Steve Austin turned up to eleven or maybe even twelve at times. Oh, absolutely, and. uh yeah, like I said, when you mentioned that 96-97, uh, the, the match with Bret Hart where he never quit, um, that just added to the character. Um, and if I had to go back and revise, I might find a spot for him on my top five. But also, as like I said, there's so many good characters uh, throughout yeah, history. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't yeah, go wrong. You can't go wrong with any of the ones that we've named, in my opinion. Um, so we are down to numero uno. I think process of elimination would probably let you figure out who my number one is, but I will just go ahead and say it. It's the one and only Undertaker. Um, but I do have one caveat I put on my list. I, I put Undertaker with Paul Bearer um, because I don't think the Undertaker would have gotten to where he got had gotten without Paul Bearer. Um, because I think Paul Bearer was probably the most important part of building the Undertaker's character. Um, without Paul Bearer, I don't think people would have taken Undertaker's character as seriously 
for as long. You know, I think initially they might have, but I think it would have worn off really, really quick. Um, it dang sure wouldn't have lasted 30 years, in my opinion. Um, and, and just having Paul Bear, it was the perfect complement to the character of the dead man. Um, and the fact that you have a real life mortician, uh, it just, it all, were, you, you know, it's like they said, it's like Undertaker said in that Paul Bear documentary, it was meant to be. Um, yeah. It, it, it just, you know, it's like you said, you, you just, same thing with Goldust, man. You, you write down that character on a piece of paper or try and explain it to somebody without them ever seeing it. They're going to look at you, you know, sideways. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're losing your mind. Uh, but the way they were able to make that character work over the years and in the different iterations, you know, um, he, was, he was still the same man, but he had numerous different phases of The Undertaker, um, some better than others. You know, I never cared for the eye drop tattoo Undertaker. Um, that was a bad idea. Like the, the cult, like yeah, like the cult leader type Undertaker, whatever, like you were talking about when he was uh, sacrificing Stephanie on the cross. Yeah. I didn't care for that. Uh, the, what was that? Ministry of Darkness, right? Yes, Ministry of Darkness. Yeah, I, I didn't really care about that or care for that. But you put it in the bigger picture and it just added to who who his character truly was. Even the American Badass, uh, I think, I think that character came along at the right time. Um, things were changing, not only in the wrestling world, but in society around that time a little bit. Um, um, but it also made you kind of long for the true Undertaker to come back, you know? Yes. Um, and then when he did come back as the dead man again, it just... It, it, With it, Paul it, Bearer. Right. It, it, kept that, it kept that character fresh. Um, and I mean, man, you, you, and it's also like you said about him, you're able to keep kayfabe for 30 years or, you know, right at 30 years. Um, and that was another thing I think uh, Paul Bearer helped him out a lot with because he even mentioned it like in the last Rod documentary and other interviews I've heard him talk about Paul Bearer. You know, Paul was able to take care of the hotel reservations or the car reservations and all this. And then he's like, so I didn't have to go out and talk. He's yeah, like, I could just walk. You know, he's like, I didn't have to worry about talking and communicating and whatnot. So he was still able to keep that character um, even more outside of the ring than than what he would have been able to do without Paul Bearer by his side. Um, and I think, you know, uh, uh, Paul Heyman and. Bobby Heenan, you know, they, they get a lot of the mention of being the greatest managers ever, but, you know, and, and I won't disagree with that, but Paul Bearer, he's got to be right there in the conversation. Um, he was, like I said, he was perfect to pair with the Undertaker. Um, and, and I mean, it's Undertaker, man. You 30 years, I mean, you know, freaking three decades of being a dead man and, and people believe in it. And, and being bought into it, it that that goes a long way for me. Um, yeah, there, there's not much more we can say about about the Undertaker. Um, Paul Bearer again, just such an addition. And again, the whole him being a mortician thing adds. Uh, go ahead. I, I, I was yeah, just popped in my head. I was going to say I almost thought about adding uh, Kane as well and making it the three of them. 
um, because Kane Kane's another character. Um, he you put those two together, you know, in a pot together and let them simmer. Um, it's it, it just works perfectly. Um, and and I think Bruce Pritchard has said it uh, that the story of Kane before he debuted was the best story that they've ever told in WWE, WWF at the time. You know, the whole backstory of him being his brother and all this and that, and then the anticipation of of him actually coming out finally and, and whatnot. Um, you throw Kane in the mix, and I mean, that those three together just, to me, um, it's the perfect, perfect pairing, perfect group, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, um, so, like I said, not much more you can say about Undertaker that hadn't been said already. Um, his last, you know, they, they said his final farewell is going to be at Survivor Series this year, and I'm, and I think it, and I think that's a good way to go out. Of, you know, he came in at Survivor Series '90, so it's a good way to, to, to do it. You know, I would like to see. I wonder, and whatever they do with him, I'm just happy to see him again. But it would be cool if they did some kind of thing with him and the Fiend. Um, not yeah. necessarily where Fiend comes in and attacks him or anything, but some kind of maybe symbolic gesture. You know what I mean? Um, maybe like a passing of the torch. Because the Fiend is the closest thing we've seen to the Undertaker in terms of being like an undead character, you know, like this mystical uh, 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 character. Uh, I'd be interested to see if they're going to do something because right now, I mean, The Fiend doesn't have anything for Survivor Series, you know what I mean? Um, and, and that would be a way to get him on, on that pay-per-view and kind of kind of give, give the nod of approval from The Undertaker to The Fiend, you know, for the next generation or for the, you know, for the foreseeable future is being like, all right, you got this. I'm going to go be Mark Calloway. You know, you, you, you take it from here type deal. Yeah. Um... So my number one is um, it only lasted a few months, um, but it is one of my all-time favorite um, heel characters, um, and it is Hollywood Rock, which was only around for parts of two, for most of two or early part of two thousand and three. But um, the backstory is basically. The Rock is, he kind of takes the torch from Stone Cold in 2000 and 2001 as the biggest uh, draw in the WWE or WWF at the time. He then goes to do the Mummy Returns or the Scorpion King. I can't remember which one. He does one of the two. And he starts getting Hollywood roles. This is, this is the beginning of him becoming what he is now, the biggest movie star in the world. And some WWF fans were kind of bitter about this. They weren't happy because, you know, they wanted the rock around. And so at SummerSlam 2002, he fights Brock Lesnar for the WWF title at Madison Square Garden, which is always notoriously um, hard on, uh, on faces and, and kind of, kind of a place where they're, they, you know, if you're, you know, they'll, they'll boo a face if they don't, if they don't dig what they're doing. So he gets booed and Lesnar gets cheered.